What's up, everybody? Welcome to Giraffe Chaff. This is episode number 83. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts. And joining me, as per usual, Ben Fisher. How's it going, dude? Oh, it's going really well. I can't contain my excitement anymore. It's time to talk about our MTG Neo spoiler cards. Oh, man. We've we've been excited for this for a really long time. We're going to start it off with a banger. Number one, planes. That's right. They have brought planes back for the next set. You already did this bit. I'm going to do it every time I feel like it, you know? (laughs) Should I continue? Should I say they're also bringing back islands? And do you think we got it by now? Yeah, I think think the listener got it. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Moving on. One of these days, we're actually going to get a spoiler card, and then we'll have to do the same bit, but like subtly throw it in there in the middle of like the lands or something. I don't know. Get a bunch of nonsense. Yeah, in any case, this week we are doing our usual Flavor Town episode. Kind of continuing things, picking it up from where we left off in Midnight Hunt. But before we get into all of that, of course, our usual housekeeping. If you're not already in it, check out the Discord. The link to that is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. It's the best place to go to chat with our community, all the aficionados out there, as well as ourselves. We've got some interesting things potentially in the works for ways we might spice up the Discord. And we're still working through those and thinking about it, but more on that later. But definitely just get in there and check it out. More discussion there and... Ability to pick up more games and stuff would be really cool. We've also had some folks in there talking about streaming more often, so that would be that would be pretty fun as well. So give that a look. Also, if you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. We have a handful of different tiers over there that you can check out starting from $2 up to $10 a month, and you can give anywhere in between that or below or above that, whatever whatever works for you. It's very, very a la carte, as as it, as it were, the way Patreon enables folks to support their favorite content creators. So check that out if you're interested in supporting us. Huge thanks to all of our patrons who do support us each and every week in our content creation. We are beyond grateful for all of you who have been there supporting us uh, for quite a while now. Y'all are the best. Perks over there include things like our Draft Doctor series, which I promise is coming back. Stickers, show notes, unedited recordings of the show, and our Draft Chaff cards signed and signed by us and sent right to you. So again, you can check that out at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. All right, on to our crack and draft type thing. Ben, what do you got? We've got a double feature to take a look at here. Heard some murmurings in the Discord. People might be interested in cracking some double feature packs. So I thought, hey, why not? Let's take a look. Uh, A few changes this time around. Double feature, for those that haven't heard, is kind of smushing together uh, the two Innistrad sets into one giant unholy Innistrad monstrosity. Uh, I was hoping this would be a curated set, but it sounds like they literally just took both sets and combined it right a little bit weird but you know why not yeah i am less than pleased about that but cool i guess it's basically an innistrad cube as it were yeah i mean there's definitely things that each set were made to play off each other uh like sacrifice themes and exploit and the, the zombie tokens is, is a, a clear one uh a note about the pack there's eight commons four uncommons and two rares which is kind of cool uh, we've got Bat Whisperer, Falcon Abomination, Festival Crasher, Defenestrate, Fearful Villager, Griff Rider, Chill of the Grave, Rural Recruit, and that's it for our comments. What are you uh, What are you thinking about so far? 
So I'm realizing it's kind of tough to make a decision on commons here because a lot of these cards, something like Festival Crasher, for instance, very good in its format, but relies on a lot of, and in this case, I think Festival Crasher actually side skirts the problem, but some of these cards might actually require some build around stuff that you're not as likely to get because there's so many more cards in the pool. Yeah. I don't mind the Festival Crasher. Rural Recruit's okay, but probably not my pick. Falcon Abomination is just a fantastic card in its format as well. Yeah, maybe I'd just... And then Defenestrate's a solid removal spell. I'd probably just go with the Falcon Abomination and see what happens. But uh, I think our uncommons are going to change my mind. Yeah, I'm leaning towards the Defenestrate, but... Uh, you know, we, we, we could do a little better. We, we got plenty of uncommons to discuss. First up is Infernal Grasp. I mean, already right there. I think you're taking that over Defenestrate, right? It's yeah, cheaper. Sure. It hits more creatures. Morbid Opportunist. Oh, welcome back, Draft Hello. Jeff Hero. Do you take the Opportunist or the Grasp? Oh, man, that's tough. It's very tough. I mean, you're sending a signal either way, most likely. Opportunist is just so good, though. It's so good. And, and you can pick that, up right? other removal spells. You're not going to find more Opportunists. I, I'm kind of viewing this as a cube, almost. Like, mm. I really think you just take the Opportunist. There's there's nothing that does what it does, and you're very unlikely yeah. to find more of them. You're going to see more removal. Yeah, that's true. We've got a Frenzied Devils, and we've got Lantern of the Lost. So yeah, I'm uh, on the Opportunist. Yeah, I think it's Opportunist. Now, we've got a couple of rares to try to unseat our opportunist friend here. Uh, the first one will not. It's Splendid Reclamation. Yeah. Uh, not excited to reclaim this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no thanks. Next up, we've got Graveyard Trespasser, though. This is a cool rare. I think it's worse than Opportunist. <laughs> it is. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I never really got to play too much with this one, but Opportunist is just bonkers. It's just way too good. Yeah. Graveyard Trespasser has the same cost. Uh, it, it's a good card, like, for sure. I mean, if left unchecked, it can do a bit of work. But it doesn't draw you, like, six cards in the mid to late game like the Opportunist tends to do. We've actually got a foil in this pack, and... I don't know. It's the closest card that could come to unseating the Opportunist. It's a Mirror Hall Mimic. The, uh, the rare spirit, the clone. Yeah, it is It is close. I still think I'm taking the opportunist here, though. I mean, we know just from both sets how powerful black can be. And mm -hmm. I, I think you're you're better off sitting in, in that seat. In Val, the blue cards are more or less not very playable. Of course, in Midnight Hunt, it, they're very playable and, and very highly mm -hmm. sought after. But I'm not so sure that you want to start off in that in a color that's like maybe 50-50 to get you good playables. Whereas I think black, you're just you're just happy with almost any of the playables you get. And Morbid Opportunist is, I think, a reason all unto itself to play the color. Whereas Mirror Hall Mimic is like, you could take it or leave it. It is a fantastic card, but I still think I'm taking the Opportunist here. I have a bit of a hot take. Again, have not played this format. I'm not even sure if I'm going to get the chance to. I hope I do. But I'm going to go ahead and say that I think black-white is going to be the strongest deck in double feature. Just thinking about it, blue-black was by and large the, the, the head of... It was the deck, right? Blue-black was just the, the bonkers Midnight Hunt deck. Uh, and now we're seeing black-red be kind of... It's not you know as good, but it's certainly a really good deck. Uh, black red vampires so black is clearly the strongest color i think in both sets although i guess blue could be argued for for midnight hunt i would say black is definitely up there if not the strongest one of the strongest so black you definitely want in your best deck honestly red just didn't work that well <laughs> remember moon ranger slash they gave us lightning bolt in limited and it just wasn't good so i'm gonna go ahead and say that 
because black white was pretty solid in both, I think it's going to compound even better now that we have more human stuff, more sacrifice stuff, more aggressive stuff. Um, we have the aggressive white humans package from uh, Midnight Hunt pairing that with the good black white cards and Crimson Vow. I think it's it. I think it's the one. Yeah, I'm curious to see how werewolves do because obviously the werewolves yeah. in Midnight Hunt were not where we wanted them to be, but they were pretty solid in Crimson Vow. And I think like you throw a couple of child of the packs in your Midnight Hunt decks and you're, you're kind of off to the races. There are some pretty solid yep. cards, Tovalar and such, where I think you might uh, you might actually be able to put that together. So I'm curious to see how that archetype plays out. And then obviously the blue-black menace from Midnight Hunt is hopefully going to be toned down here by the, the addition of so many extra cards. We'll see. Uh, hopefully we do get the opportunity to draft this. It doesn't sound like it's going to be on Arena at all. I couldn't I can't remember if I if I read that it was or wasn't. I think it is for a little bit. Okay. I don't think it's up for much. I think it might be when Cube goes down, this goes up right before Kamigawa. I could okay. be wrong, but uh, I actually have another fun theory. I think, it, 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 I have no idea if this is going to work out or not, but Blue-Black was such a great deck in Midnight Hunt because mostly the strength of the commons. We're going to see less organ hoarders in this set than in Midnight Hunt, right? So I think... Honestly, seeing less commons like like Falcon Abomination, like the Organ Hoarder, like some of the good black stuff, it might make the deck worse just based on the statistics of we're getting less commons, more uncommons and rares, and we're getting half as many from that set. Like you're not going to have the like four Organ Hoarder deck anymore. You'll be lucky to have one. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, on to our Teferi Tibble. This is our Roses and Thorns style segment where Ben and I share a high and a low from the past week. So Ben, Teferi Tibble. You know, I'm going to start with my tibble because it actually ties into the double feature. I was doing a little research. A box of double feature costs $200. Jeez. Yeah. That's crazy. Uh, yeah. A box of any normal standard set, for those that don't know, is usually retail $90 to $100, depending on where you get it. I, I, I checked for value just in case. The only mythics in these sets... Cultivator Colossus sits around 20 and then there's a few Mythics that are above 10 and then most is like $5 Mythics and bulk rares or, or less. Meat Hook Massacre does go for the most out of either of these sets. It's up by 40 now, which is kind of funny. Um, I might have a copy of that floating around somewhere. I forget. I got to look. But Meat Hook Massacre, I guess, is seeing a lot of play and I'm sure people in Commander love that card. Like that seems like a great Commander card. So I, I think that's probably going to you know raise the expected value a little bit, but still. I, d I just don't think doubling the rares doubles the price like this, especially when we already know that the rares aren't like we know the expected value. It's not that high. Yeah, I mean, and they're getting the reprints, so it's going to drive costs down anyway or prices, prices, I should say. I'm curious if they're just putting extra emphasis on the notion of having these like alternate art cards with like this different border or... Are, are the boxes bigger? Do they have more packs in them or something? I don't think so. I think it's just... The, the, the art and like I, I i'm sad because i love this idea like aesthetically it's great the whole like double feature campy werewolf horror movie the art treatments we could probably talk about too they they don't all i don't know i, I don't know if the artists were told that oh by the way your art is also going to be gray scaled out to black and white and then released on this other product because some of the arts they work. We were saying a little bit ago, Falcon Abomination, this is how it was meant to be. Like, it's campy, it's stupid, like, it looks good in black and white, it looks like something out of an old film. But some of these cards just don't really, I don't know, it, 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 it wasn't meant for this, right? Like, this wasn't the artist's original intent, so they don't translate perfectly. Also, the black and white cards are a little hard to distinguish, the artifacts look a little strange. We were saying the blue and black cards, uh, the, the blue and red cards, rather, really pop. 
and the black cards are purple now. So <laughs> there you go, I guess. Anyway, I'm a little sad that I don't think I'm going to be able to make the paper events for that this weekend. I might maybe try to pick up a pack or two and jam with, with a friend or I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. My Teferi for this week. Good weekend. Went out to, to dinner, which I rarely ever do. Went, went to like a fancy restaurant. Like, oh my God, food is expensive at those places. <laughs> I forgot why I don't go often. You know, got to got to jam some modern with my co-host here. Which doesn't happen that often. We, I, I'm, I'm happy to say that our decks are fairly evenly matched. Our, our pet decks, you know. Yeah, especially given that, like, well, I mean, I play spirits, and spirits does what spirits does, and doesn't particularly care about the meta, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. There are certain things it can do for certain matchups, but yeah, it felt pretty even. I mean, I think we had an, a literal even split in games, not in matches, but in games. Yeah, it was probably about down the middle. It would have sucked if like one of our pet decks was just absolutely brutalizing the other. <laughs> like uh, that would suck. That that that'd be awkward. We did find but, out though um, that neither of us really have any sideboard options against each other, so that also that, maybe has something to do with it. Yeah, it's funny. I'm definitely not ordering a bunch of like like I don't know. There's probably like a like a cheap reach creature or something in black or white. Actually, oh shoot, I don't think there is. Oh. <laughs> anyway, over to you. Right, so I'll start with my Teferi. During said modern games, we did get to playtest our decks, which was really awesome. And it's we've been putting those together for a while, so it was nice to have them actually there and function. And then we went out and got some amazing ramen, which I was very pleased yeah. with. And uh, some some nice bao buns and what else? Gyoza. Yeah, it's just it was just an excellent, excellent night, and uh, we should do that again. Absolutely. Whenever. I'm I'm around. And then my tibble is that I've been kind of overwhelmed lately with a lot of stuff going on. I've got, you know, some personal stuff that I've been talking about for pretty much every tibble for the last month and a half. And then there's work on top of that. And then I've got some side projects I'm trying to do. And we have the show. And it just, it feels weird because I just had a ton of time off. But I've got like so many things floating around in my head now that like I'm getting randomly overwhelmed throughout the day. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to figure out how to keep myself from letting my mind wander and get distracted with some of these other pieces because I need to, I think, I think being able to focus would help a lot with the overwhelmingness of, of just all the different stuff I've got floating around in my head. Yeah, that's fair. Definitely feels like a, like a, like a, a season of overwhelmingness. I don't know. Like, I, I think maybe it's like the post holiday season, getting back into the groove of it type of type of problem. I don't know if, 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 uh, if you ha- too have experienced post the holiday overwhelmment. Let us know in the Discord. We're, we're curious. What do you all do to, to 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 help out with that? You thought I was going to do a like, comment, and subscribe thing, didn't you? I did. I did. No, not 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 when it comes to mental health. I I draw the line somewhere. Believe it or not. <laughs> well, that's good to know. All right, on to our listener question of the week. And this week, our question comes from Wolverine in the Discord. And the question is this. Watsy has become so impressed with your vector theory that they decided to add an additional color to the color pie. They have asked you to come up with the color and what that color's vector is. What is it? Ooh, great question. First of all, I think I'm going to be the only one that can answer here because uh, I, I don't know if oh Zach's uh, really really got the, the colors down. Uh how many can you see? Like four, oh five? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Look, I am colorblind, but I can still see color. I just yeah. always see the same colors everybody else sees. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So if I say purple, though, like we are probably picturing two different things, right? Uh, it very heavily depends for me. I'm technically red-green colorblind. I have what they call mild dude anomaly. 
or deuteronomy. Mm-hmm. I can never pronounce the word right. But I struggle with I struggle with reds on greens or greens on reds, and then I also struggle with sh- similar shades of colors. But if you just took like any given color swatch and you slapped it on a white background, I'd probably be able to tell you what color it is. Though I did have trouble with Expo markers in college. Mm. A lot of my professors would use those, and they all looked black to me. Like, I just couldn't tell. I would have to look at the pen in their hand or the marker in their hand in order to tell what color they were using. Interesting. Now, the, 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 probably if no one had ever told you about this or, like, it, would never, it was never tested, we would probably just go about our lives, like, thinking the same thing or perhaps you saying, oh, these kind of look similar. And then other people would be even like, huh? Not really. Yeah, and that's kind of how it came up. And I'll, maybe I'll go into that in another episode. But <laughs> so, so in terms of the question here, we're tasked with coming up with a sixth color to the color pie and what that vector is. Now, they kind of did this, and a lot of our listeners are are a little newer to the game, so maybe didn't experience it, but they they did kind of do this with wastes back when they, mm. we had Battle for Zendikar, and they introduced wastes and the idea of colorless mana, which we didn't have before. We just had generic mana in the past, which everybody called colorless, but it was, it was just whatever it was. But then they introduced colorless mana, which is an actual different color, quote-unquote color and yeah. then they, they stipulated what generic mana is and what can generate it and specific things can generate colorless mana and so wastes are lands that can do that a lot of people were really pissed off when they did that and then people yeah, realized like oh, they don't actually they didn't actually add a color to the color pie and we do have this weird little thing especially because they only did it for like one set so mm. you know if you want to play a, a deck that has like um i don't know the 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 kozilek uh, the Great Distortion was was a card, and especially in Commander, it's a card that people love to play. But it has the colorless mana symbols in its casting cost, so you need to have wastes or other cards that specifically generate colorless mana in order to use. I don't know; it's it's kind of weird. But in any case, what color would you come up with, and what's the vector on it? Huh? Now I've thought about this a bit before because I think every once in a while a hoax will come out where someone will share like a a picture of a magic card back, and it'll have purple on it. I think there's this, there's some stories to that. I think maybe they may have toyed with the idea at one point at Wizards, but I'm pretty sure there have been some official releases by Wizards. Someone can correct us in the Discord if we're wrong. But I could have sworn that at one point they thought about it and then didn't and went back on it. I'm pretty sure all the pictures that are out there of the, of the mystical sixth color purple are a hoax. It's honestly kind of hard to come up with with the color because these ones feel so perfect. I think it's it's a really nice balance, almost to the point where they, they kind of have their, their identities. Uh, if purple were to be the color, I think it would be difficult to functionally distinguish it from black because they have a lot of similar overlap in, in what they could do. Like purple, what kind of feels like uh, like poison or, or subterfuge. Um, but that's covered so well by like mono black cards or actual poison mechanics or like the Demir guild, right? Yeah, and that's actually interesting because in terms of purple, like you'd think about like, okay, well, it's red and blue mixed together. It's just going to be like a, a red, blue kind of spells thing. But the color itself feels very much closer to black. And then like you said, Demir. Mm which is kind of interesting just from like a, the way colors work perspective. And the other thing that I struggle with with this question is there is kind of like you said, I mean, the, the colors feel just right and they, they do have their identities as they are, but also they used primary colors. So mm-hmm. it, it feels like anything else you pick is just going to be a mix of what they already have, uh, maybe outside of yellow, but even yellow is kind of just close to white. And a lot of times they even use yellow to represent white anyway. And like some of the older, the the backgrounds on white cards in the past were actually yellow or like a, a yeah. kind of like a parchment color. So I don't really know, again, outside of like what's already there, 
there aren't really I can't think of any other primary colors that aren't being used, right? They they pretty much got them all. Yeah, I think the only color that I come up with that might be more distinct would be a lighter, softer tone, maybe like a pink or something. And then the the vector could be all lovey dovey, oo hearts and everything. And uh, I'm Actually, sure the design team would have fun with that. Pink would be interesting if they went with like a charm sort of effect and changed mm. the way that like. You know, we have a lot of those cards in red that, like, steal creatures from your opponents, but maybe they they change the way that mechanic looks. They give it a keyword, they add it to pink, and then they also give pink, like, effects like these creatures can't attack you or hmm. they have to block certain creatures. I don't know. You could kind of give it that. So it's a, it's a it's combat-oriented, but more about stopping combat than anything. Uh-huh. Like alternate win like cons through, through, uh, through love, <laughs> that yeah. type of thing. Something like that. And then like maybe I don't know what an alternate win con would look like in that in that way. I was thinking life total, but White's already done that and it was stupid. Mm. Um <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, true. We don't need more Felidar sovereigns. Honestly, they they've covered their bases pretty well with this one. They they tried the absence of color with, with, with the wastes mana, which like the colorless specific mana, like you said, people were not thrilled about that one. I don't mind it. I've played I've played a bit of Tron here and there. It's kind of fun uh, challenge to figure out how you can make that mana. But then I don't know. That's limited to just one set. I honestly don't think it is. It's possible. I, I don't Ooh, think it's I possible to add a six I have, color. I have a, a thought on this. Yeah. What if they did an actual brown? color like nobody likes the color brown hmm. really but like there's a joke within magic that there is a, a mono brown archetype and that is just all artifacts because the old borders yeah. for artifacts were brown but what if what if brown was just some weird amalgamation of all the types in terms of magic lore huh. like all the types of magic or mana colors being mixed together and you get some weird amalgamation of all of those things i don't know what that would even look like in terms of a color identity and like what it would do mechanically but i don't know i feel like that one's close to a primary color that like kind of feels like it's its own distinct thing but actually could just yeah. be a mix of everything mm. brown if if it were the the new color i'm trying to think of what kind of what kind of flavor or mechanical feel could tie to brown and i guess that's actually just putting a label on wooberg really in the way i'm thinking of it it's like just mixing all the colors oh, yeah. together but you'd give it an identity as if all of the types of mana were being used simultaneously in order to cast the magic that's being cast. Mm -hmm. I'm going to flip this one back on the listener. Go ahead and say in the Discord what you think Brown should do. And l let's keep it rated PG-13. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, let's get into the main topic for today. Uh, we're we're, we're going to hit up a bit of Flavortown for Crimson Vow. So welcome back to Flavortown. Of course, it's your destination for all things fun in form and function. We have fun here on this show. And uh, Crimson Vow has some pretty fun and fantastic cards. We want to appreciate some of the art, some of the flavor text, some of the designs of our favorite cards from the set. And then also talk about them in limited, like whether or not they were good. Uh, you know, we've kind of dried out the well of, of Crimson Vow topics, as I think a lot of uh, content creators have. We've, we've been on this set for a while. In fact, we were talking before the show that it... It, uh, it feels like it's maybe overstaying its welcome almost at this point. I'm I'm firing arena cubes. Uh, I'm I'm off Val. Uh, maybe I'll do one for old time's sake, but it already feels like I'm doing it for old time's sake, you know? Anyway, let's get a bit of a refresher on the story. When we left off in Midnight Hunt, Olivia had kidnapped Catilda right as she was attempting to complete the ritual to bring the Eternal Night to an end. And Olivia kind of stole Catilda's body while her spirit was out of it. So it was a little confusing. It was like, is Catilda dead? What's going on? Yeah, and then didn't Olivia basically like 
grabbed Catilda, flew her up into the air, and then just like dropped her. And that was kind yeah. of it. That's how that's how they ended. That's how they ended her story in terms of midnight uh, midnight hunt. Yeah, um, but she made away with the moon silver key, which was what they really needed in order to complete the ritual. Um, then you had our, our planeswalkers. Let's call them the not gatewatch because they're totally not the gatewatch, but it is a bunch of friendly planeswalkers. Kaya, Arlen, who's kind of the, the leader of the pack, pun intended, Teferi and Chandra. Not Ren and Seven. Ren and Seven only made a, a, a kind of like side appearance uh, earlier on. She bumped into uh, Teferi briefly, but, you know, that uh, while she was like looking for her new her new uh, like tree to hang out and looking for Seven. But that was it. And then uh, Adeline, uh, resplendent Cathar, who was kind of like a local hero. Uh, all of them kind of joined together. They planned to infiltrate the vampire wedding to, to get the Moonsilver key back. But then they were like, wait a minute. That's a whole lot of vampires. We got to talk to an expert. Let's hit up Soren. Unfortunately, Soren was even grumpier than usual. Uh, he, he, he was, was kind of mad. Granddad's like getting married and stuff. And uh, did Soren even get an invite? I don't even know that. <laughs> I don't even know that Olivia wanted him around. Yeah, uh, Olivia is made... I, I like her character a lot. She's very over-the-top, very exuberant, very like, ah, oh, yes, darling, like, very, very fun vampire royalty. And Soren's pretty mad that Olivia bewitched his his grandfather, who is the progenitor of all vampires on Innistrad. He's like the OG vampire. They mention a little bit about the original ritual, uh, it apparently involved drinking the blood of an angel and gaining them all a bunch of immortality and, and powers. And since then, he's been the source of vampires on Innistrad. Wait, that's interesting, though, because it wasn't I don't know if that's a a plot loophole or not a loophole, but like a feedback loop or something. But wasn't it previously confirmed that Soren was the progenitor of angels on Innistrad? Yeah, I don't know about that. Someone, uh, again, correct us in the Discord. Like, comment, and subscribe if you know whether the angels or the vampires came first. Because we'll, we'll, we'll I know he created, he created the sisters, right? He created yeah. Sigarda and Avacyn and oh. Lisa and all them. So he created Avacyn, but I don't think he created the other sisters. I don't think he created Bruna or Sigarda. Um, Gisela. Gisela or... Lisa. Lisa, yeah. Interesting. I thought he had created all of them. I believe Avison was his only creation. And then she went on to create, you know, more. But anyway, uh, the Not Gatewatch, uh, they, they grab a whole army of local humans who are also pretty mad about the whole Eternal Night thing. Uh, and they hide outside the wedding. After, you know, they, they met with Soren. Soren was like, oh, grumble, grumble. I guess I'll help you. And they, they wait for Soren to go on in and bring down the barrier that's preventing uh, unwanted trespassers. It's kind of like vaporizing people on contact. Soren goes in, has a whole bunch of nonsense happen. He causes a big stir right as the vows are being delivered. Uh, right as like, speak now or ever hold your peace. He's like, ah, gotcha. It's, it's pretty classic. Fun. Again, maybe if you don't want to get spoilers for this part of the story, go pause and read it yourself. But he actually prevented the vampires from drinking Sigarda's blood who had gotten captured by Olivia, which would, you know, supercharge them. Uh, normal human blood's pretty tasty, but I guess angel blood is, is the good stuff. Anyway, Catilda's spirit, which was kind of like stuck to the Moonsilver key, I think, as part of the, the ritual that they were attempting, had been accidentally brought into the party by Olivia herself and then kind of rose up out of it, looked around and was like, what is going on here? What are you people doing? You, you tied up an angel? Are you going to drink the blood? Are you kidding? This is some nonsense. And she starts like casting a spell to release Sigarda. Olivia goes to stop her. Soren goes to stop Olivia. Edgar's there like, huh? I gotta stop everyone. And Sigarda gets out. 
And there's a pretty, pretty dope scene in which Sigarda like breaks free of a, of the wrappings around her. All the vampires just kind of stare at her like for a brief moment, like, what's she gonna do? And then Sigarda goes, All of you are guilty. And then just starts mowing them down. <laughs> it's pretty sick. And the not gatewatch see that as their opportunity to just, you know, mount the full on assault. They break in, they smash the windows, Sorin chases down grandpa. Arlen hits up Tovalar. They have a bit of a fight. She kind of proclaims her dominance once and for all, and and uh, as he was a bit of a source of abuse in the past for her. And uh, Katilda kind of does her thing. They win the day. They get the Moonsilver key back from Olivia, who they, they kind of chase out of the building. They complete the ritual. Katilda's returned to her spirit to her body. Uh, and everything seems pretty chill on an Estrad for now. We, we know there's still old Emmy hanging out in the moon chilling in the moon just waiting yeah that's kind of how things seem to go within Innistrad it's like some big really weird plan this is probably the mildest plot that has happened on Innistrad given the last few times we've been there but mm. uh you know that things things go wrong something bad happens some folks deal with it and then it's like all right we've got a we can we can repair and then by the time we're just about repaired something crazy will happen again and we'll be back to Innistrad for some other planar issue I guess some of the side stories are pretty fun, too. Uh, they mentioned that to the inhabitants of Innistrad, they call the whole Eldrazi situation, they call it the Travails, which I thought was kind of cool. Like, it's built into their lore now. It was a nice bit of world building that the inhabitants of Innistrad, they're now thinking in terms of like, oh, we fought off an interdimensional cosmic horror. And now there's a bunch of big werewolves. Like, let's get them. Like, come on. <laughs> what, what could they possibly do, you know? Oh, that's actually worth bringing up, too. First of all, I don't know if it's obvious that this is the case, but most people on planes who are not planeswalkers don't know that planeswalking exists. It's yeah, like it's yeah. that's been a thread that they've like touched on every so often in different story pieces, but people don't just know that you can planeswalk. It's it's a very select group of people on every plane that even know that that exists. And so, yeah, they would be like weird this weird tentacle monster thing come from. Hmm. Ah, we beat it and it was morphing all of our stuff into weird abominations but hey we took care of it so that's gotta be like kind of screwy with the with the folks on innistrad the other question i had was do we know how much time had passed between midnight hunt and eldritch moon i don't know if we know exactly i think we could figure it out though actually the the story with torrens has a little bit of information about that it kind of breaks it down i, I don't think too long maybe five years max um okay. The way I'm thinking about it is the Torin story, which actually uh, I recommend checking it out. It's, it's interesting. His card and his story are not matching at all. His card portrays him as this kind of like holy Cathar who is blessed by the angels, um, like going and, and fighting for the white green spirit. But in, in the story, he's actually kind of like a traveling salesman selling snake oil-esque remedies to uh, ghosts and ghouls and such. He has like a cart with with wares and he gets like booed out of a couple towns before finally he's hired to fend off a, a demon from a village. There's a whole lot of other plots and it turns out it's much more complicated than that. The demon may not be the enemy that it, it was and it turns out the village itself might be the enemy. I, I recommend checking it out. It, it's a fun little story. But Torrens, he mentions that he grew up in Hanware where uh, he had and his brother and his mother used to live. And uh, they, he actually describes going back to Hanware, who, if you recall, in Shadows of Innistrad or, or Eldritch Moon, Hanware turned into the writhing township when the entire city became possessed by uh, Emrakul corruption. 
and the entire thing melded together, got up, and walked away. And there's a pretty interesting scene where Torrens goes back to to visit his like estranged brother and finds just a hole in the ground. And he's like, oh, <laughs> what happened here? Like, what kind of nonsense went down? In- interesting world building. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. I, I I don't know how I feel about his character being so different in the story than, it, than the card. I feel like they used to do a lot more story driving in the cards. Mm-hmm. And that's one that, like, completely got missed. And I'm not sure how I feel about that. I guess it's fine. But, yeah, I had a very different view of Torrens outside of the story. Honestly, I liked what they did in the story enough that it almost made me forget like they they actually went into the the mental his mental state like like how he was like separated from his family because he was kind of the the, the screw up and and how now he all he's ever wanted to do is like go back and apologize to his older, older brother whose feelings he's he's hurt because his older brother's always trying to like look out for him it, it, it was this cool family narrative and then contrasted with this eldritch absurdity of his his hometown getting up and walking away to go massacre other towns. And then he's dealing with the the personal loss of, of his family while also trying to help out another family in, in town in, in like the lore itself. So again, at first I was also a bit taken aback. Thankfully, it looks like Kamigawa is really nailing the story. Like they've been doing these cool little story releases about what looks to be sagas. Um, I don't know that that's some... No spoilers, so those don't want it, but if you've seen the art they've been putting on the official Wizards website, it's very uh, very vertically oriented. That's saga art. Like, come on. <laughs> we knew that from the first one we saw. Let's talk about some cards. Honestly, overall, the flavor in this set, not the best, in, in my opinion. I think we've seen better recently, and we haven't really seen worse. There's a lot of cool stuff in here, for sure, and uh, this relies heavily on the overall aesthetics of Innistrad and of the uh, the horror genre itself. And in that, there's a lot of cool stuff, and this builds on that. But as far as stuff that personally jumped out to us flavor-wise, eh, kind of thin, you know? Yeah, it's tough because Innistrad is historically one of the more flavor-dense sets. It's the gothic mm-hmm. horror plane. That's where we've seen all these different crazy horrors. And this set, and actually this this group of sets, the two of them, though they were focusing on the horror sort of thing and trying to do like a, an old like movie style horror trope thing, there wasn't actually any real horror in the story in terms of what was going. It was a wedding. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, like yeah. the Eternal Night thing was like, I guess, horrific, but I don't know. It just felt like there wasn't enough tying all of these different plot threads together to make it feel like one big horror movie. And I think a lot of that was represented in some of the cards. And then there were some disappointing designs as well, which we'll get into. Yeah, the vampire wedding was fun. But to be honest, I kind of forgot. <laughs> Is that bad? Like, I, I, I kind of... Until you just said it just now, I was like, oh, yeah, that was the overall theme of the set. In my head up until this point, I've just been thinking about this as another Innistrad. And sure, that reminds me of the cinematic trailer, which was pretty fun. And I love that they put effort into those. Uh, if When you look at stuff that, like, I don't know, like League does, as far as the supplemental stuff, like, oh, my God, Arcane was awesome. Like, <laughs> Magic has some catching up to do when it comes to supplemental entertainment and, and that kind of thing. And But I don't know. Let's just take uh, take Magma Pummeler, for example, our, our first dishonorable mention. You know what I've never once thought about on Innistrad? Magma? Volcanoes? Yeah. 
Is this card supposed to be on Zendikar? Like, if you just showed me this card, I would say this is from Zendikar. Or maybe Dominaria, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the actual, like, elemental design in, in the pieces of the actual creature that aren't magma doesn't really look like anything from Zendikar to me. But it also doesn't scream uh, Innistrad. Like, I would absolutely not expect it to be on Innistrad. This almost looks like it's something from Junt. Like a, like a Shard of Alara, right? Yeah, yeah, it could be. I don't know. It is weird. I guess there are volcanoes on Innistrad. I don't recall there being any, but like the Ash Peaks or whatever. Not the Ash Peaks. That's that's a different Ashmouth. Uh, the uh, I, yeah. I, that's like the portal to hell that they have. I guess. I don't know. I don't know. It's th- this one was a miss for me. Um, same with Cultivator Colossus. I I I don't get it <laughs> from a flavor perspective. This is a a mythic green creature. In an Innistrad set. And I'll admit, it might be harder to come up with something for that than like, oh, black, have a cool giant zombie. Or blue, make a giant stitched abomination. White, you get an angel. But I I, I feel like I'm missing something. It's a plant beast. Is that yeah. like, is that it? Yeah, okay. So one thing that I was, I was trying to think back, like what did we have in Eldritch Moon? The only mythic green creature we had in Eldritch Moon was Ishkana. Graph Widow, which was like a, a crazy big spider that did cool things. That felt very yeah. Innistrad-esque. Totally. Totally. This could have been a giant spider or something. And then Shadows of Innistrad, we got Ulvenwald Hydra and Seasons Pass as the green mythics. And then in terms of like other cards that had green in them, we had the Gitrock Monster and like Arlen Cord and Sigarda in, in the Seasons Pass was awesome. Like yes. that's such an awesome, flavorful design. The regrowth aspects, the art on that, the actual tournament playability <laughs> like such yeah. a cool design it, that that was a, the linchpin of decks for the entirety that it was in standard right even og innistrad we had essence of the wild which was an avatar which i i guess you can say okay maybe that doesn't fit quite as well as some of the other stuff but then you also had tree of redemption which was the defender tree that was zero thirteen that you could switch its life total with its toughness yeah essence of the wild is actually one of the first mythics i ever owned remember in high school that first green deck i had essence of the wild was in that and I thought this was the coolest thing that like it, it was inviting you into the, like the, the flavor text on this is wander too far into the wild and it may take you for its own. That's awesome. For those that don't know, it's a six mana six, six creatures you control enter the battlefield as a copy of essence of the wild. So if you play one mana one, one psych, it's a six, six with this ability. And now if they kill the original one, guess what? It's still happening. Everything you play is a 6-6 now. Like, flavorfully, that's super cool. And that's honestly one of the things that hooked me on green. It's one of my favorite colors. I was like, wow, this is this is so unique. It's so flavorful. I, I've been sold into the wild. Like, I, I've wandered too far, and now I'm stuck. Is this thing. Tree of Redemption is iconic. They even made Tree of Perdition in the last set uh, because it was such an iconic Innistrad idea. Like, set piece almost. Yeah. Like, are you going to remember Cultivator Colossus if it weren't, like, slightly modern playable? Like, <laughs> Probably not. And then in, in Avacyn Restored, we had Craterhoof Behemoth as the green. Oh, my God. Yeah. Mythic. So, I don't know. I mean, Craterhoof Behemoth itself doesn't feel very innistrad to me either. That's fair. But that is, like, Innistrad icon at this point. It, it It's just some sort of gargantuan forest beast. And that was called back to in Decimator of the Provinces, which right. I guess was the Devoid green mythic from, from last time. This just doesn't have the same heft as some of these other ones. The same kind of flavorful impact. A lot of those are creative, unique designs. This is, I guess, but I, I just, I, I don't know. I, I don't get it. I don't get the joke on this. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. And then, can we talk about the elephant in the room? 
Yeah. What they do to yeah. Audric? Come on. My boy Audric. Oh man. So his side story is pretty cool. He is, you know, kind of caught out by by Enrica Damanathi and some of her cultist following as they're trying to summon a vampire. He get he's like betrayed by some of his own members and he's suffering under the, his own conscience. Uh, because of how he failed the, the citizens of Innistrad when he didn't lo- listen to Thalia and admit that like the Lunark Council was corrupt. So he's now kind of like dealing with his own stuff as he's also trying to fight off a bunch of vampires. As you can tell by his now dual creature type vampire soldier, he didn't quite get there. And while he was bitten, he managed to kind of wriggle himself out with some holy water. And it, it didn't quite affect him fully. The end of the story seems that he and Thalia are... Uh, they might go on some vampire hunting adventures. We, we might have a blade scenario here where we've got a vampire hunter vampire. <laughs> yeah, that's great and all, but like his card sucks. <laughs> his card is so bad. It's and uh We've had some good iterations of Audric. No, I've never I don't think I've cast the card. It's just so bad I won't I won't draft it. But it, yeah. his previous iterations were actually solid and, and most of them were, were quite good. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is pretty disappointing. And he was a sort of a favorite of mine for the for the plane and they like tried to do the soul flayer thing but then didn't really enable it in the set and yeah it's just like blood tokens are great but you don't need that many of them and and when you cast this you have a three mana three three that like gets you maybe one or two blood tokens it's just (laughs) now this is a a bit of a play off his last card where it was a four mana three three and at the beginning of combat if one of your creatures had flying first strike double strike hex proof blah 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 all of your creatures would get it until the end of the turn, which was a really cool effect. I That's played a single so copy of that. so much better than this, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, like, I played that in my old standard deck. That card was awesome. Like, super flavorful, super fun, a very unique effect, and very legendary feeling. This, at best, is a 3-mana three 3-3 three, three that doesn't give you card advantage. Like, this is, at best, good filtering or in re- enabling your blood stuff. But red-white wasn't even the blood deck. It was black-white. So, like, what, what was the point here? Oh, Audric, they, they did you so dirty, man. Ah, I don't know. It was black-red, but yeah. Oh, yeah, I don't know what I said, but black-red. Last but not least on our dishonorable mentions list, Cradle of Safety. Nowhere on Innistrad is safe. That, that, that's what I've learned so far. Plus, I don't like the way this baby's looking at me. Some, <laughs> something's freaking me out about this baby. <laughs> like, it just, maybe, maybe it's just, like, I don't know, is it the hair? Is it, like, it's little chubby arms? I don't know. It's cute, but it's, like, know, something's off about it. <laughs> Maybe because we've never seen like a normal baby on Innistrad. Like there's got to be something inherently wrong with that child, right? Like there, there, nothing good comes out of Innistrad. Yeah, that's true. It's a little too innocent for its own good. All right. So we've talked a lot about a bunch of cards that we hate. Let's talk about some stuff <laughs> we actually like from the set. All right. Let's kick it off with my, my favorite art in the set. Chandra dressed to kill the alternate art. Man, that's, that's just, that's just stunning. Like, look at that. She's her dress is on fire. Now, notably, nowhere in the story does this scene occur when they break into the vampire wedding. They're just kind of smashing it up. But honestly, if this is the kind of like headcanon alternate reality uh, fanfic version of Chandra that they just decided to put on a card, I'm perfectly OK with that. Yeah, I mean, it's an alt art. If, if this was like the main art of the card and it had nothing to do with the way they handled the story, I would be a little upset. But it's an alt art. It's done. I'm not even going to try to pronounce the artist's name because I butcher it into oblivion, but it is a phenomenal piece of art. I mean, even everything from like the way they, they did the background, the the different cast that's in the background of the, the, you know, the different vampires. And they're all just kind of like talking to each other, kind of looking at her like, whoa, you know, like she's, she's kind of stealing, yeah. stealing maybe Olivia's thunder a little bit here. Yeah. And yeah. kind of gives off a little bit of a Katniss Everdeen kind of 
kind of vibe mm-hmm. in terms of drawing all the attention and having her dress be on fire. But yeah, absolutely beautiful. Yeah, uh, dress to kill, one hundred percent. Love the love the sleeve designs. I don't know. I've been meaning to watch the Phantom Thread recently. That that's a dressmaking thing. But let me watch that and get back to it and get back to you on this. All right, so I guess I'll go with my next one. And while we're talking about Legends, one of my favorite cards from this set was Anya, Maid of Dishonor. Part of it is the nonchalant attitude. Like, they're that person that's, like, invited to the wedding, and they're just like, okay, I'm just going to drink a bunch. And, like, (laughs) I don't want to be here, but, like, free booze. So, you know, let's do it. And, of course, when you take that bit plus their abilities, I mean, this card is just a beating. I've won so many games off the back of this card alone, and being mm. able to drain your opponents for your blood, but also your creatures is just absolutely ridiculous. And it makes a ton of blood tokens. My question about Anya is that, is the blood alcoholic? Like, it, that's a reasonable question to ask. Like, the joke here is that, like, Anya is, like the, like you said, the, the one that's just kind of throwing them back and, and having a, a time in the corner, right? But is blood inherently alcoholic, or do they have to get the humans drunk and then drink the blood that already has a high blood alcohol content? Well, I guess that would make sense, the latter one you mentioned. But I don't yeah. know how magic kind of does this in terms of how they handle vampires on Innistrad, but I, I know some versions of vampires in different pieces of, of uh fiction writing and things like that will sometimes talk about the effects blood has on a vampire as basically getting them high if they have enough of it Mm. they basically get high so i wouldn't be surprised if it's just like a super pleasant thing and and it's supposed to be super satiating right so it's like you know that that vibe you get when you're like heavily craving something and are really hungry and you eat that one thing that you've been craving for days and it's just like such a relief maybe something like that but i don't know that it by itself gets you drunk See, the way I'm picturing it is uh, like vampires would, would keep a bunch of like, they'd just have a bar in their basement that they would go to, but not to choose from the bar to be like, oh, I'm going to go pick out like a like a 73 Stencia and then just go get like a 73 year old man from Stencia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. I got to shout out Alluring Suitor here. Uh, alluring Suitor flipping into Deadly Dancer. The nice little flavor text. May I have this dance? Uh, the dancing sub theme for Red White. I wish they developed it more. I almost wish it was the main theme or it, it had been like built up a little bit better in the set and kind of made more obvious with like maybe more Red White cards illustrating dancing or kind of having this dance mechanic where it's been clear through this and a couple of the cards that when you attack with exactly two creatures, the dance thing happens, uh, the, the dancing ability, right? In this case, when you attack with exactly two creatures, you get to transform the suitor into a deadly dancer. And then you get a whole bunch of stuff. You get the red mana. You have the ability to pump both the deadly dancer and one other creature. I guess whoever his dancing partner is, right? I, I wish a little bit more had been done with this, but I think it's pretty cool and unique that red-white got, you know, they got another attacking mechanic. But, you know, they were so close to making this one uh, a really cool and fun unique wedding ball mechanic yeah i mean it was nice they didn't get like a a new keyword or anything but it was a new way to flavor the things that red white does we saw something like that attempted with lore hold this is a little closer to home in terms of what we were used to red white doing but it it felt a little bit different in that it's got some flavor i know actually a lot of people missed that that was even the flavor they were going for so maybe it didn't do what it what it was intending to do but I, i liked it i think that's pretty it was a pretty nice little piece so next up for me, I also had a Littering Suitor. I think that, you know, just for the same reasons with the, the dancing and, and making that work the way they did. I'm knocking a Littering Suitor a little bit because it doesn't say when a Littering Suitor doesn't attack alone or something of that nature. Because it doesn't have to even be involved in the dance 
to transform, oh, which I think is a little bit annoying. That's true. Yeah, that is a bit of a flavor fail. Especially huh. when you pair it with the flavor text. It's like, may I have this dance? But actually, I'm just going to watch you guys dance because <laughs> that's cool. But it, it works from like a, a gameplay perspective. I think it's an amazing, amazing thing to do is one drop, two drop, th- alluring suitor, swing with the other two creatures, flip this the turn you play it. Like it, it, it works yeah. from a gameplay perspective, but it, it the, misses a little bit on the flavor. But the next card I'll talk about here is Child of the Pack. And Child of the Pack is just the werewolf card that we were hoping for in Midnight Hunt that we never got. Mm. I also like it from a flavor perspective because we saw one of the things that Ben and I have talked about in the show previously is that it's weird that a lot of the werewolves in this set and Midnight Hunt had higher toughnesses than powers and it just felt off and i actually liked it here because in the art on child of the pack there's a massive wolf with a little girl riding it riding its back and (laughs) has a spear in hand and in my book the wolf is like defending the girl she's like being protected by the wolf so the defense is high and she's the one with the spear so she's trying to do the attacking from the, the wolf's back and she's a little girl so her her attacks a little bit a little bit lower than it maybe otherwise would be and then when it flips it's a 5/5 five five, so it's like you know big werewolf doing its thing but then of course you get the play patterns where this card just generates a freaking well a pack of wolves and it's it's really difficult to deal with this thing and then it flips and it's got it's got menace and like who even remembers that it has or is it is it menace or trample i can't even remember i know it has a keyword it's trample i know it gets a keyword i can never remember which one it is and it always gets me so yeah, it's trample. absolutely just phenomenal. I, I love child of the pack and there have been way too many decks that I've played with three plus of these things. <laughs> uh, Got to knock it a little bit. I mean, unless it's too obvious, but been too hard to make the flavor text something about being raised by wolves. Yeah, that's a little bit. That's a is that the joke like already? Is that just kind of explain the joke? I don't know. Anyway, my next card up here. Uh, it's kind of the opposite of what you said. You were describing uh, for the Alluring Suitor a card that was fantastic in gameplay, but maybe missed a little bit on on the, the flavor itself. Let's talk about Honeymoon Hearse with uh, basically unplayable gameplay attributes, but some of the best flavor in the set. Again, if you haven't cast this one in a while or ever like, like us, I think, uh, this is two and a red for a 5-5 five, five vehicle. Trample at Uncommon. You can tap two untapped creatures you control, have it become an artifact creature until end of turn. So they sidestepped the usual crew ability here, instead requiring you to tap exactly two creatures. Uh, it turned out that in this set, you really didn't want to be tapping your creatures unless you were attacking with them. So, uh, and there weren't really many small ones or tokens laying around that you could use to basically crew this for free. But when we evaluate this from a lore perspective, the flavor text, it says, a carriage crafted from the finest materials, horses bred from the finest stock, skulls taken from the finest foes. And you can see instead of like cans trailing behind, there's just human skulls, (laughs) which is kind of fun. Uh, and the idea that you got to have exactly two creatures get in the, the honeymoon hearse doesn't make sense to have just one person get in or three or, or more. In, in this case, uh, based on our our understanding of vampire marriage, it sounds like two is the magic number and uh, you need exactly two to hop in this one. Yeah, this was great. Great flavor. I like that they didn't give it crew two because you don't need two creatures to do that. It just felt very on on flavor, maybe detrimental to the card itself. But even if this just said crew two, I don't think it would have been remarkably playable in this format. Now, in double feature, it might be actually quite good because you're going to have a bunch of decayed tokens floating around. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If you could just use decayed tokens to sit around and crew this a bunch, that seems really good. 
So last up for me is actually my favorite art of the set, and that is Dreamroot Cascade, the blue-green land that finishes off part of that, that cycle of ETB tapped unless you control two or more other lands. And I'm always pretty taken aback by these this style of art, and we usually see it on blue-green lands, but it's it's got those nice hues of blue. There's the movement of the water in there. You can kind of see flowing through from the back to the front of the, the painting there. Beautiful trees, the lighting with the whatever those green. I, I like to think of them as fireflies, but I don't know what they actually are. The green lighting. It's just actually a super serene, peaceful. Maybe another one that's like, this doesn't feel like it should be on Anistrad. Mm, but somehow yeah. I never, I didn't get that vibe when I looked at it. But talking about it, I could get that vibe because it does feel very serene and peaceful. And, and it kind of hits home for me in terms of like where I would spend my time in, in, as a kid. Like we had this big forest next to us that I would like to go and sit and think in. And yeah, I really like this. Sweet, sweet. What I want to chat about is Dorothy Vengeful Victim. Dora, Dorothea, Dorothy. I, I just thought it was Dorothy. Dorothy whatever. Uh, I actually want to talk specifically about the backside. Dorothy's Retribution. Uh, because this is something that has appeared in every single Innistrad set. And I want to make sure it gets its uh, its appreciation. So the front half is obviously pretty sweet. It's the white blue for a 4-4 flying spirit uh, at rare. And when she attacks or blocks, sacrifice at the end of combat. But then has Disturb for one white blue. And of course her Disturb half is an enchantment. It's an aura. And it reads, whenever this creature attacks, create a 4-4 white spirit Creature token with flying that's tapped and attacking. Sacrifice that token at the end of combat. So if you think way back to Innistrad, we had the Geist of St. Traft, which was a really, really cool legendary creature. It was a one white and a blue for a 2-2 with hexproof. It was a spirit, maybe a spirit cleric or something. But the, the idea is when it attacks, you create a 4-4 angel tapped and attacking and then the same deal uh, sacrifice it at the end of combat and that showed up again in the last time we were in Estrad when Saint Traft he came back around and he was like oh this is Eldrazi I should help out right uh, it showed up in a rare called Invocation of Saint Traft where you could give anyone the ability to to you know do what Saint Traft did and it was cool art Saint Traft was like laying his hands on a on like a young Cathar and like yeah I'm gonna give you the ability to make angels now and then it was the same exact card as Dorothy's Retribution, actually, the, the the back half, where whenever that creature attacked, you can make a 4-4 angel. Now, notice they changed it this time. Now you make a 4-4 spirit, which I think is supposed to be Dorothy, right? Like yeah. her spirit may have gotten messed up a little bit, but now whenever you swing her, uh, whenever you swing a sword against the uh, the Valdarans, which it seems she's got some, uh, some bones to pick with, or I don't know, she's lacking bones, but whatever, I don't know ectoplasm to pick with looks like whenever that happens she, she comes back out as a 4-4 which is pretty sweet and it's, it's cool that again that matches her power and toughness on the front side yeah love it i'm always a fan of of interesting spirits and uh i don't think dorothy actually ended up being all that good in limited unfortunately but i didn't really get to play with it too much so maybe i just didn't get enough experience with it i mean you'll never cut it from a from a blue white deck and if you were able to stick that uh that that backside on a small flyer you could really go nuts uh, but it does suffer from uh, a few problems. It gets blown out by removal. The front side can only really one for one uh, because of how, how the attacking and blocking works. But if you think of it like a removal spell that costs blue-white that sits on the field for a bit with upside, good card. Would this card have just been way too good if it only said... If it did everything it does, but instead that middle clause was when when Dorothy attacks, sacrifices it in the combat, so it could block without any issues? Would that just make it too good? I don't think so. I mean, we have two mana three threes that with with defender that just kind of sit around. Um, I think yeah, that would have been pretty flyer. fine. Yeah, yeah. This really locks down the board. 
I don't know. I think it would have been a, an interesting design choice. Maybe they would have made it like a 3-3 flyer or a 4-4 ground creature or something to make it just a little worse, maybe for, for constructive purposes. But I don't think that would mess up limited too much. I feel like we'd, we'd be able to tank it. Dice to removal, right? That's true. Last but not least, I just want to shout out my favorite card of the set and what is steadily risen to be one of my favorite magic cards of all time, Halana and Elena Partners. Just love everything about this card, what it does, how it's... I mean, we've had Halana and Elena on Innistrad for ages. They didn't get cards until Commander Legends where they're on two separate cards, but here we have them portrayed together. In that last set, they were cards that had the partner mechanics so when you got one you could tutor out the other you know they, they each had their thing they're like green flavor and then the red flavor but here we have them both on the same card with first strike which is very clearly red reach which is very clearly green and then the ability to put counters on things very clearly green and give haste very clearly red until end of term all kind of in this one little neat package and i thought they just really nailed the design on this one absolutely love this and the alt art for it is is one of my favorite of the black white alt arts so i, I don't know there might be a commander deck in my future with with Helena and elena at the center i'll start looking into it i would not be surprised to see that in the not too distant future all right so that that basically does it for us today but we do have a few other things we wanted to talk about before we go and first up we talked about double feature. I think I think we pretty handily covered that. Neo leaks. We've got a few of those. Yeah. So if you're not interested in hearing the uh, the neo leaks, maybe just skip ahead a bit. We leaks are complicated, right? So on one hand, they're out there. You know, the cards are out there, regardless of where they came from. They're out there in, in bad image quality and whatever. On one hand, it feels a little bad to take away from maybe the content creator that was going to get to spoil that card uh, in the future. And it's it's annoying if like the 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 wind gets stolen out of their sails, if they had like a, if they, they put a ton of work into a cool release video or something like that, or I don't know. There's a few camps of thought here. I don't really know which one I fall into. I mean, we see all the cards eventually. I think I probably end, like I probably tend towards that end of the spectrum. Plus, like you know, it's magic cards. You know, <laughs> like it's it's and not it's not. A, I mean, the spoilers like it it sucks for the creator who who now is like okay, well, I guess you know everybody already knows this card, so me spoiling it doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. But it's not like you're getting anything from spoiling the card outside of just giving Watsy extra recognition in the first place. So I don't really think it's the worst thing in the world, but I'm surprised that it happens so frequently. I, I don't, yeah. I don't know this. There's this, this concept that Ben was talking about before the show of people are speculating this time around that Watsy actually leaked some of these early leaks themselves because they're really, really bad quality images and like <laughs> so bad that it's questionable as to the authenticity of them. Yeah. And yeah. I can't cite my sources on this just from internet discourse in general, we'll say. Right. It's the vibe. Right, right. And and yeah, nobody knows if that's accurate or not. It's just speculation from the community that it could be. And to be honest, I've actually thought they've been doing this for a long time because some of these leaks are just like, especially when there's some, some of them are like cards. It's like, Watsy would never print that. And then they did. And it was like, I also don't know where people are getting their hands on these cards so early. And I mean, maybe they're all mm -hmm. just insiders from Watsy without without sign off from the company and they're just yeah. you know, spoiling them themselves. I don't really know. I mean, it is what it, it is what it is, I guess, but I think it's a funny sort of situation that it, it causes so much uproar. Mm -hmm. Well, anyway, on the topic of spoilers, there's some fun ones. If you're interested in seeing them, uh, you can look them up. It, uh, I mean, we already basically knew this from the art, but it looks like sagas are making a return. We knew there's going to be some big fancy dragons. I actually really like what they're doing on the, uh, the the Mothership website. They're kind of releasing these little, quick little history recaps. 
because after all, this takes place thousands of years after the original Kamigawa, and I knew nothing about the original Kamigawa lore. So it's it's giving some the some information to bring us up to speed. Maybe we'll have to consult a professional on on Kamigawa lore. Have someone hop on the cast or something. That would be pretty sweet. Anyway, uh, for everyone that plays in Double Feature this weekend, have fun. Post some deck lists in, in the Discord. Let us know how it is. I'm I'm genuinely curious. I I remember the the combined arena event during the decathlon where we got to play both Vow and uh, and Midnight Hunt, and it was really fun. Like these sets were clearly meant to be played together. They were clearly designed with this in mind. And I am just so bummed that it's twice as expensive as it should be <laughs> because this is still like a standard set. It's just like twice as many rares. Like, come on, whatever. I get it. Anyway, post some deck lists. Let us know uh, what kind of nonsense you, you can get. Let us know of any weird combos you find between the sets. So that does it for us this week. Thank you so much for listening. Of course, check out the Discord if you haven't and you're interested in communicating and just staying up to date with us over there. We do. I mean, obviously, we only put out one episode a week and we get to talk with you a lot more through the discord than that so uh check that out if you haven't already link to that's in the episode description as well as on our twitter page and if you want to support the show directly you can do so on patreon at patreon.com forward slash draft chaff pod once again we really 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 appreciate all of you folks who are over there helping support us it's because of folks like you supporting us in that way that we're able to do the big donation that we did for for direct relief at the end of 2021 so thank you all for that it's it's really a big deal to us and if you want to reach out to us outside of the show outside of the discord you can do so through social media you can find us both on twitter you can find me at zach e hackett you can find ben at betafish one and you can find the show directly at draft chaff pod that does it for us and we'll talk to you next week enjoy double feature one last thing i really have to give credit where it's due on this one uh i am not a chef but every once in a while i i have a stroke of genius uh, where, I, where I come up with something that I never thought I could. Uh, it's nothing new, you know. It's it's me reinventing the wheel in, in, in a way. Uh, but it, it, honestly, if if I could, like, so, some nights, I'm just like, if I could take, a like, a pill right now that would satiate hunger, I just I just do it. It was like, I, I got to keep going. Like, tonight, I'm going to have dinner and go right back to grading. Uh, and then, like, making some exams for tomorrow. Like, I got a ton of stuff to do. But every once in a while, when I have the time, I sit down and I actually try to make something good. I made pasta the other day, and I made it with a new brand that was recommended to me via the Discord, and I got to shout out Sirkovitz for this one, because, buddy, you're right. That was some good pasta. <laughs> uh, if you want to find out the best pasta on, I don't know, it could be the best on Earth. It, it was it was genuinely, like, top tier. You're just going to have to hop on the Discord and do a little bit of scrolling. Yeah.